Welcome to the Revenue Accelerators Podcast, a show featuring B2B sales and business leaders. Hosted by Excelogy founder and 19-year sales veteran with leadership experience in strategic enterprise and telecom sales, Deep Trikonod. This show uncovers strategies and techniques business leaders have used to go from zero to one and beyond. If you enjoy this content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Accelerators is brought to you by Excelogy. We help B2B sales leaders improve sales performance by leveraging our patent-pending data-driven sales coaching systems. Find us at www.excelogy.com. Enjoy today's episode. Hey, everyone. Thank you guys again for attending another episode of Revenue Accelerators. Today, I'm with Marnie Hines of Marnie Hines Coaching. Marnie, welcome. Thank you for joining me today, taking the time. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I uh, spent 12 years at Salesforce in enterprise sales, and I started out as a solution engineer, moved into the account executive role, and then I ended up in leadership. Um, before that, I was actually uh, buying software while I was at Google. So I was also on the buy side and also did some IT consulting work as well. And I was even in a PhD program for a bit. Um, uh-huh. What I'm doing today, as you noted, is um, I'm more so focused on coaching, sales performance coaching, and leadership coaching. So helping um, leaders, teams, and individual contributors uh, create results and achieve performance in a sustainable way. That's awesome. And and what piqued my interest in your background as I LinkedIn stalked you and invited you to to, to join me today, um, it was your 12 years at Salesforce and kind of how it led you to where you are. Um, and you mentioned you were a sales engineer. It's very similar to to my background as well. Um, how did you make that switch going from sales engineer to sales? Was it was it actively done by you? Were were you invited to to play that role in in a, in a bag carrying sales rep fashion, or can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So it it actually started before the sales engineer part. So when I was actually at Google, um, I was buying software on behalf of the IT department. So I was basically the team lead uh, within IT, the, the sole person representing mm-hmm. the legal department and doing software selection um, processes for things like contract management and e-signature. And in that role as a buyer, I saw all these vendors come through because when you're the buyer, they're called vendors. And I was yep. like, some of the people coming in would bring in the army of salespeople and it wasn't clear what everyone's role was. Sometimes people would listen. Sometimes they were more more so pitching. And so I saw the high degree of variability in the sales teams coming through. And I had been in IT at that point for almost 10 years. So I was ready for something new, itching to do something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And I saw how the sales side was just the flip side of what I was doing. And I was also doing IT implementation work as well. And I was like, wow, this is a lot faster way to solve a problem in some ways to always be involved at that front end part where you're identifying the problem helping to solve the solution, you know, find the solution, and then also um, really showcase the business value that you can offer and bring to the table. So I got hyper curious about moving into software sales. I only targeted Salesforce at the time. And I did a lot of research and informational interviews. And I learned that to get in, um, really, the sales engineering role was the way to start. Okay. And so I actually pursued that initially with the intention of moving into the account executive role. Interesting. Yeah. So so 
I always had those aspirations as well, even in my career. But when when it time when it was time to make that that switch to where now I'm the one driving the meetings, I'm the one kind of forecasting the the deal closure and all of that. That was hyper stressful for me. That was like, and and I didn't invite it. In fact, actually, in in my case, I was invited to be a sales executive, unbeknownst to me. Like I got an offer letter for a job that I applied for. I applied for a sales engineering role. And the offer letter I got was for sales executive. And that's that's when it kind of hit me on the head that I had to make that switch. And and I did, and I'm, I'm, I never looked back since. But in your case, you you kind of like you ran towards it, it sounds like. And mm-hmm. when you did make that switch, did you feel you already knew how to handle? Because I got like, you know, similar to that, I was a sales engineer. I was always the guy kind of doing the whiteboarding and the, the presentations and all that, right? And I understand that role. But- the other stuff I didn't understand how to do as well, at least like, you know, coordinating kind of like making sure we get everybody in the room, prepping everything prior to that meeting. I didn't, I didn't have a value for all of the efforts that go before and after the actual meeting where the sales engineering does their song and dance. So when you were in that role, did you already understand that? Like you, you knew what it took or did, was there a little bit of kind of, stumbling for you at that point there's, oh, there's always stumbling when you walk into a new role it's <laughs> true that you have never done before so yeah i there was some stumbling i think the thing that i that really caught my attention uh was that when you're the sales engineer you're the smartest person in the room just simply by the sheer title yep. you're the one doing the demos you're the one solving the problems and so there's this stereotype or you know, perception that the customer places that, you know, they can ask you all the questions <laughs> they will disregard. Sometimes yep. the account executive, even they really want to hear from you. And then all of a sudden with like simply a title change within a matter of weeks, I remember going on site to visit um, for a meeting with an executive at Disney. And I even had my uh, regional VP with me on site for that meeting. And the executive was just downright not nice, not kind. And it was, he had assumed there would be selling occurring simply by the title that I then held. And that was a very jarring experience to go from, no, I'm the IT person. Now I'm the sales engineer. (laughs) Oh, wait, I'm the account executive and they think I'm going to pitch them. Even if I not pitch them, they assume that. And so the switch of role and identity just in a very short amount of time was jarring. And then, as you noted, just the the types of tasks change and the way that you're going to potentially approach your communication changes as well. And so I was noticing that with my peers who are account executives, wow, the like ways in which they would influence looked night and day different from how you might approach something as a sales engineer. So true. Um, Like, and, and I, I experienced this as well. When I made that switch, because I came from engineering, I tend to know as much in some cases, maybe even more than my sales engineer. And there was, I remember there vividly being a time where I, I realized what you, exactly what you said, that I'm not getting any credit for my knowledge because of my title. No one cares about what I'm going to say or anything. I'm, I'm kind of a glorified um, appointment maker basically of just getting everybody in the room. And then they also want to talk to the sales engineer. I learned quickly to use my sales engineer accordingly because there were times where I couldn't necessarily trust his knowledge. Cause in some cases I did know more, 
And I would bring him in the room the same way that in A Few Good Men, that that um, Tom Cruise movie, mm-hmm. towards the end where he uh, calls calls out Jack Nicholson and he brings like the airmen in the background to just kind of bluff effectively. Mm-hmm. So I'd bring my sales engineer in just to kind of, I'll, I'll make a statement and then I'll look at the sales engineer for validation. He'll give his validation and then I just keep going. <laughs> So. Yeah, I have. I might have done that before too. Sometimes <laughs> you, it's a little bit more of a rehearsed. Uh, not you don't want it to be overly rehearsed because then Correct. it doesn't come across as authentic. And at the same time, if you kind of know what's happening, either on the customer side or from a product perspective, what's going to be most compelling mm-hmm. for the customer, you can always feed the information to the sales engineer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They'll come that, from them yeah, that in that more. sense, it's coordinated. Hopefully, yeah, you're. You know, you're meeting with your, 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 your pre, what is that? Um, oh my God, I'm losing my vocabulary here. Uh, you're, you're kind of staging, you're, you're, you're playing it out before it actually happens. It's that prep mm-hmm. meeting where you're like, all right, this is how it should go. And if this happens accordingly, then this is what you say at this time and so on. And, and mm-hmm. this, so a hundred percent. Um, so, so where, Given that, and that was all within Salesforce. So, so that entire thing, that twelve-year window of you kind of rising in Salesforce, that was your sales experience, kind of like from an enterprise sales standpoint. Have you had sales experience otherwise, whether leadership or outside of your current coaching role? It's so funny because I'm like, I often will be like, no, and then all of a sudden I pay more attention, and I go, okay, I guess. I have been in sales roles before over the course of my lifetime. And I, you know, like some people do, you disregard certain things or you forget. Mm-hmm. But I remember when I was going through my interview at Salesforce, um, one of the leaders asked me, and this was actually an important question for him. What was the first job that you had? And he, he wanted it to be a sales job. Like literally okay. the first job you that ever was criteria. Was like, well, what if it wasn't? I was like, well, t- I was like, I was, think I worked at a court reporter's office filing papers. <laughs> it doesn't count. But then I was like, oh yeah, I was actually, you know, a sales associate, I guess, at the local department store in the town where I worked selling, I think, t- men's ties. Um, and I was also a hostess, um, at California pizza, pizza kitchen. So in some way, like those are roles that are sales oriented. And then when I was in IT consulting, I also was sometimes involved in, you know, structuring proposals that we would then present to customers. Um, but it wasn't a guarantee that we would obviously win the business. So I was involved in selling in that capacity, but more so on the, uh, implementation and or strategy side of the house. So, so it sounds like he was more probably the spirit behind him expecting his people to have sales roles as their first jobs. It sounds like, I don't know, you tell me a more appropriate description would be just customer facing roles. It doesn't necessarily have to be sales because any customer, whether you're a retail, mm-hmm. anything, there tends, any customer facing role has some kind of some aspect of sales associated with it. I, I myself, yeah, was, I would even say too, I was reading an article recently, which I strongly agree with this. Without people realizing, because there's such a negative connotation with the term sales that a lot of people just hold. Um, And the reality is, at the end of the day, a huge chunk of what you're doing in sales is influencing. There's a level of uh, influence. You want to be credible and you want to help someone solve a material business problem uh, when you're doing sales. And 
the the influence part is something that you're going to do in no matter what role you have. So you don't even need to be in sales. Like you could be a product manager and your ability to influence your the other team members is going to impact whether or not you're successful in that role. So there is any role. Yeah, Yeah, any role. You're always selling something. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, 100 percent. Like um, even in channel roles, business development roles, which Mm -hmm. are also sales adjacent, I guess they're not necessarily transactional, but but you're constantly influencing and you're the better your ability to influence the, yeah, the better salesperson. I, I would even say too, one that's been, I've noticed at least for myself personally, that's been undervalued over the course of time. And that I've noticed that it, it ebbs and flows, but um, is the role of customer success. When you're talking about SaaS or a subscription-based business, um, like whether or not your customer's happy after they make that purchase decision determines whether they're going to renew, whether they're going to expand, and whether they're going to refer your solution to others. So you really want to make sure that they're happy after the purchase decision. And often that falls on customer success. And I don't think enough attention is placed on how that role is really important from a sales standpoint. I couldn't agree more. Do you think, though, you mentioned earlier, you kind of qualified it like from a SaaS or that like that type of sale. Do you think that there is a jurisdiction for customer success, or do you think that um, basically any non non like transactional, in, in some cases even some transactional, like if you're selling an iPhone, maybe customer success may not be as as valuable as as just customer support. But mm-hmm. but if it's a solution that you're selling where there's ongoing kind of interaction with the platform or whatever it is, doesn't matter if it's SaaS or otherwise. Do you think that there is a scope or or like what? What are your thoughts there for customers? Yeah, as you bring it up, it's funny because I'm like, I I'll just live in the world of SaaS and cloud and subscription-based services. But if you think about it, you know, when it wasn't subscription, but the, there were these multi-million-dollar purchases, then yep. yeah, you have to make sure your customer is happy because no matter what, at some point in time, there there could be eventually a renewal event or a cancellation of the use, and you also want to think of it from a f- referral standpoint. So you don't want unhappy customers. You want happy customers that are going to be able to give, you know, client testimonials and share all the great success they're experiencing and the value that they're receiving. So I think it hinders your business and your ability to grow if customers aren't happy after it has to be a high ticket sort of purchase. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Not like something you get on the iPhone. Yeah. How, how would you like, where do you draw the line? So in this notion of farming and hunting, right? Um, Customer success is kind of like they're farming, um, but then customer success versus account management. Like, how do you define that? Like, where do you see that line drawn? This is the question of the day nowadays. Now, I've seen that I'm starting to become familiar with different models for this. Um, I think it's still important to have some sort of role or function that represents someone that has that skill set of sales that is involved in the relationship with the customer after the purchase decision is made. And then in addition, I do think it's helpful to have customer success alongside that person um, so that they can kind of tag team the relationship. Um, my experience was at Salesforce that I re- leaned really heavily on the, the customer success team. And if I was performing that role, because I was more in a farmer role, um, then I would have been in a situation where I wouldn't be able to effectively farm because I would also be triaging or I would be, uh-huh. you know, doing like so many other activities that really the customer success team um, is really 
like well-trained in doing, has resources for, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it is helpful to have, if it's possible, like bigger companies, it's possible. I know that if you're a smaller company, a startup, you might have that role combined into one. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I do think that it's important to um, have someone that has that prior sales experience doing. So at scale, I see what you're saying at scale. It's the customer success has a, I mean, the translation that I heard kind of listening between the lines is the customer success isn't like the, they're the number that they're hunting for could be just don't just prevent churn. Like that could be their goal just prevent churn. Whereas account managers are to grow the, grow the account by like five, 10% or whatever that kind of incremental growth. And then you have hunters that are not even working that account. They're just working completely greenfield accounts. Yeah. And I would argue that when you're on the farming side of the house, this is a, this is like a whole different conversation, but you also have to consider the compensation model. So I've seen, um, like the, the ebbs and flows of looking at customer success as a combination of, um, retention and growth. So if you're going to add the growth component to it, because they're going to be potentially, um, interfacing or interacting with the customer. And identifying potential new opportunities that they can see that could be like, you know, add on items or wide range of things, because maybe something's not quite working for a customer. And if they only had this one add on capability, then all of a sudden, you know, it would add value and make their lives easier. So they might be the first person to identify that. So -hmm. there does need to be some sort of incentive structure to encourage identifying that and or, you know, in a non-salesy way, um, making those sorts of capabilities or new features um, kind of upsell uh, opportunities uh, known to the customer. Great point. I think before, so I worked at AT&T for a while, for about five years, roughly. Um, and we had account managers that would hold stewardship meetings. So they would like every quarter, at least, they would have like just, it was like a recurring meeting that they'd have with, with, a particular cl- customer and it wasn't those were account managers because the customer success in like the oh, 2009 time frame didn't wasn't at least i hadn't heard of it as a thing mm-hmm. um and so i i can see exactly what you're saying because they were t- they were tasked with both and it is hard to to follow through operationally on tickets or anything that might be happening to keep the customer happy and keeping them kind of humming along mm-hmm. while also for looking for, for additional opportunities within that account. So I'm going to, sh- I'm going to highlight something else that we just talked about the, the whole sales engineer concept of being mm-hmm. the smart one in the room. Yep. Like I noticed that when I had a customer success person who was kind of riding shotgun with me they could be the non-salesy <laughs> smart smart person in the room um, after the purchase decision was made. So kind of similarly, it actually does help, I think, to ha- have That's a little cool. bit of differentiation in the role. And that coordination, I, I love it. That's a great point, actually, because there's a whole life of the account well after signature, mm-hmm. uh, contract signature. Um that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Do you have one of the, one of the common questions that I ask every guest that, that, um, joins me is a school of hard knock lesson learned that you, that you wouldn't mind sharing with, with everyone listening. Learned. I mean, the one that I shared earlier was, well, did I share? Yeah. I think it's the one, the, the biggest lesson that I learned in sales was that the, that your customer will form an opinion about yes. you, whether you like it or not. And it could be, 
something that's a bit out of your control, like your title. So you do want to have influence over how you are perceived. So there are things that you can do to influence how you're perceived by others. And then there are other things such as title, which you're not going to be able to change. But that was the most, that was the one of the jarring experiences I had. Literally, I think that the executive might have yelled at me in the in-person meeting simply because of my title and even the the seal I, I was very fortunate a sales leader with me and he goes that was not appropriate behavior from that customer <laughs> <laughs> well at least I you felt, had validation you had backup. yeah I was like whoa what did I just walk into but to have a sales leader share that like that isn't how customers typically approach us so, so have you had since that experience mm -hmm. had you run into a similar situation and had you how, how did you mitigate that from happening again? Or how do you mitigate that from happening again? It's so funny. I don't know that you, I don't know if I would use the term mitigate. What I would say that I do is I walk in knowing and assuming that people be believe I am selling something. Yeah. And then um, it's so funny. I was just recording like a training video on this topic. Um, so it's top of mind. But what I would do, I covered Gap for about three years as a strategic account executive in the retail group. And what I would do when I would walk into Gap and be introduced to someone for the first time is I would share that I spent 10 years in IT and that I formerly worked at Big Five Consulting and that I also spent time at Google. And I and I actually had something in my back pocket that I could share. I had actually worked at Gap in their IT department for a couple months before I joined Salesforce. So, oh, okay, yeah. So I actually was able to say, "Hey, I've actually worked in your IT department, and I was working on the homegrown uh, call center solution at the time." So you had some insider knowledge at that I point. I had some insider knowledge. So <laughs> I was not messing around. I would walk in and be like, I am one of you. Yeah. So I just changed the story and changed the tune. The IT department often had over 50% influence on any buying decisions at Gap. So at least 50% of the time, I was meeting with someone in IT. Like that was very common. So I would often walk in and tell that story right from the get-go. And I would watch people kind of relax and like they would kind of calm down a little bit because they'd be like, oh, she's kind of like us. I, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So I, yeah, it, wherever you can do things that are creative to make it seem like you're more like the other person that you're interacting with and, you know, less like the seller that's trying to pitch them. That's a great lesson. Um, yeah. Cause it'll, it'll, it'll kind of lower their guard because mm -hmm. they, mm -hmm. they, they'll, they'll find some, some relation to you. Actually on that note, while I was LinkedIn stalking you, I noticed that you're a Triton alum as well. Mm -hmm. um, from UCSD. Uh, and so did you live in San Diego or did you, did you like, were you pre San Diego? Like, did you grow up there? If you don't mind me asking. I, yeah. I grew up in the central Valley. So Fresno, Visalia area. Um, I, I felt like I was misplaced at birth. I was like in a small town, <laughs> a little bit more like farming community. I was like, I feel like I meant to be in like either a big city or the suburbs or, you know, out by the beach. So once it was time to go off to college, I was like, Ooh, I'm going to pick something that is a combination of a city and the beach. So that's how yeah. I ended up at UCSD. Oh, yeah, and I great. was there for college as well as um, a couple years after college. Oh, nice. Nice. My, uh, I, I went there, um, graduated in mid nineties. And then now my son actually who's a junior in aerospace engineering at UCSD ah, as well. So. Nice. 
<laughs> so yeah. that's that's great. Um, is there anything that, um, as we kind of come to time, um, is there anything that you'd like to share that I didn't kind of already ask you about? No, I think I'm, I've kind of touched upon it along the way. I just, uh, what I have been noticing lately is like, uh, there's so much attention. Um, well, there's a lot of noise basically lately when it mm -hmm. comes to, uh, software sales and vying for attention and grabbing attention, um, from your buyer, your customer. Um, and the reality is the customer can actually do a ton of research on you before they even reach out to the sales team. And that's often when the first interaction occurs. I was just talking to someone recently that, the, the sales cycle was like literally about a day. It was like, the woman was like, this is the shortest sales cycle I've ever seen. Wow. And I was like, well, yeah, it's probably because the the buyer already did a bunch of research on you and or had like people saying great things about what the service that you provide. They didn't feel the need to go do all that research um, once they talked to you. So it's really important to be aware of how you're communicating, whether it's through email messages, like, what you're saying on social media, website, as well as those human interactions that you have with others, because those become referral sources. And we were talking about the client testimonials and the customers, all of that matters so much. And then when that yeah. first interaction occurs, it's so critical because, you know, they're already forming an impression of you by the time they talk to you. So you want to show up just as prepared as they are. Yep. To also show that you know who they are. And that's, I think, becoming more and more an expectation coming from buyers. And you you actually don't stand out. And if anything, you create more distance when you're like, who are you again? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you introduce <laughs> you yourself to me? Yeah, yes. you want to do research. You want to be relatable. And you want to come across more so as a thought leader and an advisor to your customers because that's what they're expecting nowadays. That's huge advice. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, Marnie, I'm grateful to you for your time. Thank you so much. Um, and how like, so, so as we were, one of the things that I completely skipped over because I had so many questions going forward, I'm going to kind of go back to the beginning. Um, can you describe kind of Marnie Hines coaching? Like what, what do you do and like, where do you start? Where do you stop? Um, what kind of your, your expertise and, and who, who do you help? Yeah. So I help a combination of individual contributors in sales. It's, you know, enterprise staff sales typically and or leaders, um, often focused on people that are moving into leadership and or have just landed into leadership because, um, it can feel quite lonely in that spot and hard to kind of keep up. Um, and then also focused, as I mentioned, on sales performance. So I can do one on one coaching, group coaching. Um, I'll also be focusing a bit more on emotional intelligence, the softer uh, skills in sales, um, getting a certification on that within the next week. And then I'll even do workshops. So I've done workshops um, to help teams like at the start of the fiscal year with planning, um, you know, creating sustainable success habits and even kind of developing that intro story that I mentioned um, so that they show up as the best version of themselves and representing their their company and the the products that they offer well um, in front of the customer. Do you, you mentioned you focus mostly, I mean, is it mostly ICs or individual contributors? Do you also, given your, your vast experience in enterprise sales, even leadership, do you also coach sales managers, directors, and so on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I have, uh, I was prior to leaving Salesforce, I was doing a lot of coaching, uh, for leaders. It could be a combination of sales leaders, also leaders in other functions. So it could even be often like the technology organization or engineering. Um, and what are the challenges that you experience in that role? And how do you show up being the best version of yourself as a leader, both to motivate and influence, uh, as well as to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Um, so well-being can come into play too. Very, very nice. Well, thank you, Marnie, once again. How do, how do people get a hold of you? What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, there's a, probably the easiest way is you, uh, go to LinkedIn. So, um, and there aren't very many Marnie Heinzes out there. <laughs> so okay, that's good. easy to find me. And then at the top of my LinkedIn profile, um, there's a way that you could actually schedule time with me for a conversation. And, um, I think the, the first job description listed also includes my website. So. All of that is there. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. Thanks so much. And everyone listening, thank you guys. Thanks again, Marnie. Thank See you. you. Be sure to check us out at www.excelogy.com. 